Now let me read you my text tonight, or today rather. And I'm going to read today, let's, let's just take Proverbs for just a minute, Proverbs 22 and 8. And I'm going to read one scripture. And this is where Solomon says, remove not the ancient landmark. Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. Now, I've taught this at several, God gave me this message, what I'm going to tell you today, and I've taught it under several different headings. I've taught it under the heading of famine in the land of promise. And let me tell Jennings Church this morning that dry times can come to you. And you're going to look over there a little further over here, Lafayette somewhere, and you're going to find the charismatics are having revival wholesale. Crowds are going to begin to gather. And then you're going to come out to your little church, and you're going to sing, and nobody there but the same old crowd. What's the matter? What's the matter? What is the matter with us that we can't have that? And you're going to let these smooth-tongued, what shall I say? They have a, a man they call Elmer Gantry. He was a thug, a reprobate. They're going to tell you that it doesn't matter how you're baptized or what you believe. We're all going to the same place. We're all on our way to heaven. It's like the spokes of a wagon wheel. Everybody's going to the same place. And I know of preachers that's already said, I never believed it in the first place. But folks, listen to me. In 1940, in Jasper, Texas, God filled me with the Holy Ghost, and I was baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and they taught me old-fashioned Bible holiness. And listen to me, if it was truth then, it's truth today, it will be truth tomorrow, because truth, truth, truth never, never goes away. God doesn't change. Now, where do we stand today? We stand at the most dangerous period in Pentecostal history. Can I tell you where we stand? We stand in the beginning of the great falling away. Now, listen to me. I would never have believed 30 years ago. We preached it, but I would never have believed it. But I am witnessing today the very thing that we preached about 30 years ago. Let me tell you something, neighbor. There's no televisions in Faith Tabernacle. There's no long-haired boys in Faith Tabernacle. There's no short-haired girls in Faith Tabernacle. There's no slit skirts on my platform. There's not going to be any mini skirts on my platform. Listen to me. There's not going to be any twice-married preachers in my pulpit. <laughs> all right, all right, I'm asking you. Where do we stand? Do we still believe it? Are we still behind the message? Would we die for it? Or have we loosened up and give up? Whoop! I feel like roaring. I feel like roaring. Let's stand for truth. Let's stand for truth. 
I stand for truth. Now, sometimes it gets dry. Oh, it doesn't ever get dry. Jennings, you've got too many good singers. You can sing it then. Young man, let me tell you something. I like your singing. I think you're very talented. But son, singing will always be a, a secondary minister in the church to the pulpit. Let me tell you, really, really, really singing all this, what's it for? To prepare the seedbed that when the man of God stands up with the word and opens the book, what do we say? The, the word is sown. Can I tell you something else? If the devil can't make a liberal out of you where you'll not even believe fat meat is greasy and water's wet, He'll shove you on the other side, and I'm going to tell you what he'll make out of you. He'll make a fruitcake out of you. You know what a fruitcake is? Nutty, 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 nutty. Oh, listen to me, nutty religion. Stay in the middle of the road. Keep this old-fashioned message strong. Stand up for truth. Hallelujah. Be a balanced Christian. Do you know what causes friction in the church? What causes friction on your car? You let a tire get out of balance. Well, that car will begin to jerk and shimmy and that tire will begin to wear on one side. And I've had to go and replace two whole, two complete tires because they got out of balance. You watch what I'm telling you. Let people get out of balance in the church. They cause friction. What causes the wear friction? Undue friction. Let somebody get out of balance in the church. And you'll have friction in the church. You better honor that. I'm looking at Brother Alexander. That's one thing. Only thing I found in this church I don't like. I don't like that light up there. You know why I don't like that light? I watched you and Vining stand up there a while ago. And your old bald head showed up. And I knew I was going to have to stand on that same thing, and I know all you can see is my bald head. I ask you to move that stinking thing before I come back and preach again. I don't like my bald head, but wait a minute. Let me tell you something. Don't you ever get to the place that you feel like that you can do without. Listen to me. I'm by my pastor, like a little shaved-tail lieutenant was back in the war. He was a military man. You all knew all, everything about military. He's a lieutenant. They drafted a lot of these famous doctors, surgeons, men like that, and made colonels and bird colonels and brigadier generals. And they didn't know beans. They didn't know a right face from a rear, rear march. And so they brought him into this lecture room that morning, and they put this little shaved-tail lieutenant in lecture to them. Bright, shiny bars, you know, and he walked out there that morning looked. Got everywhere he looked was a star or a maple leaf or a eagle. Them old stern characters sitting there. And he gulped about three times. He said, well, he says there's probably 500 men in the United States Army that knows more about this subject than I do. He looked them over again and said, right now, I don't see any of them here, so we'll proceed with a lesson. <laughs> hey, listen, Brother Alexander. 
I don't care who comes or goes when I look out over my crowd. I feel like I'm in the divine will of God. God put me here. There may be a thousand men more effective than me, but I don't see any of them here. They're here now, and God put me here. God gave you T.C. Alexander, and listen to me, you stand behind him. What do we do, Brother Ver, when he gets to ride? Begin to dig down. Was it, was it Isaac that digged the well? Yeah. He dug a well and they contended with him. Man of peace backed off, dug another well. And they come and contended with him over that one. He backed off and dug the third well. And this time he struck an artesian well. Springing water. Now, if they had not have contended with him, he would have never struck the artesian well with He would have been content with the first. If you never had trials and troubles and dry times in your church, you would never have the city to dig down and reach the Let me give you a story that I've heard one time. I read it out of the book. The woman's name was by the name of Naomi. She had a husband, Elimelech, and they lived in a little town in Bethlehem, Judah. Bethlehem, Judah. You know where Bethlehem, Judah is, what it was to be? In Bethlehem, Judah, the prophets had already said, right here, right here. Now, there's a great big wide world. Israel's big. The world is big. Asia, Africa, North and South America, Australia. But right here, when the Messiah is born, he'll be born right here. Now, let me fix that in your mind. Now, the Messiah is going to be born. The prophets have already said he was going to be born. He's coming in due time. In God's time, he's coming. And when he comes, he will be born right here. In Bethlehem, Judah, where you're living. Now look at me closely now. Follow me. Follow me closely. Look right straight at me now. Learn to look right straight at your preacher. Well, there came a famine in the land. And I mean, it was it got, it got rough. I mean, no bread. There was a famine. Well, news came to, uh, to Naomi and to, uh, to uh, Elimelech that there was corn down in Moab. And so they picked up their family. Boys had two fine boys. And they moved down to Moab. And Brother Alexander, they moved to stay. It's always scared me how people can leave the truth. And leave a good church, a spiritual church. Old brother A.T. Morgan said this one time. He said, I've seen people get up and leave a good spiritual church, take their wife and their children out of the Sunday school, move off a hundred miles away. The wife backslides, the children backslides, the whole family goes to hell. And for what? 
for 20 cents more on the hour. Well, they picked up without any regard for Bethlehem. Judah, they moved to Moab, distant Carson. But a people under the curse. Moab lived under the shadow of a curse, born of incest. A shadow over their, over their life and over their, well, their, their nation. Now follow me now. And so they moved down there, and they settled. And everything went well. Can you imagine a person, now look at me now. Can you imagine a person sitting satisfied in a Trinitarian church? Can you imagine a person sitting satisfied in a church with long-haired boys and short bobbed-off girls? Hair girls. Hmm? Well, they settled out and everything went swell and they established themselves. No doubt they got jobs. Plenty of food on the table. Wonderful. Everything went fine. You know, sometimes the devil will bait you along. But it wasn't long until the old man got sick. And he died. And Naomi buried her husband in a strange grave in a strange land. Oh, God, to think that a loved one of mine have to be buried out of a Baptist in the assembly of God, a Trinitarian church. Well, she was grief-stricken, but she looked around at her two fine boys, and she said, I've still got a lot to be thankful for. And she settled back down and went ahead with her living and never said any more. Soothe. The devil can soothe you. Especially as long as you've got filled bellies. Well, it wasn't long until the two boys married. And who did they marry? They married strange alien girls. That knew nothing about the truth, nothing about God. They did not know anything. But they married married in a strange land. These are nice people. These are lovely people. And I guess Naomi thought it was nice. Nice, beautiful, lovely girls, daughter-in-laws. But it wasn't long until one of her boys got sick. And he died. And again, she was grief-stricken. She buried her boy in a strange grave beside the dad in an alien land, a land away from God, a land away from the promised land. That's right. That's right. But she looked around in her grief and she said, but I've still got one fine lad. And she comforted herself. But God has a way, Brother Alexander, of pulling that final little piece of rug out from under you. What about Jonah? You cut your gourd vine down. You cut your gourd vine down. It was not very long until the last boy died. And really, really prostrate in grief, she buried her last boy. Three members of her family, her whole family, buried them in strange graves.
in an alien land. But now, a strange story reached her ear. And the story that reached her ear was that there was plenty of food, plenty of corn. God had given rain back in the land of promise. And he was blessing the land again. Blessing Bethlehem, Judah. So Naomi picked up and said, I'm going back to my home, going back to my father's land. You know the story about her two daughters. One forsook her, the other went with her. And grief-stricken, heartbroken, she came back up the trail. And when she got near the city, they looked out and saw her coming. Can't you just see them as they lowered their hands over their eyes? And they began to ask the question, Is not this Naomi? Is not this Naomi? And Naomi replied back, and said, call me not, Naomi. Call me Mara. I went out full. I went out full. But now I am coming back empty. They are telling us today, Brother uh, Alexander, I don't believe a word of it. They are telling us today that we cannot have revival except we leave this old-fashioned message. They say we're so hard on holiness and so hard on doctrine that revival cannot be had unless you leave. They say you cannot have revival in the old-fashioned new birth holiness message. I'm going to tell you something. I don't believe that revival can be had no other way. You get your Bibles down, get your New Testament down, and find me one place where revival ever came, except in the Acts 2.38 framework. I'm going to tell you something. I may cross your theology right now. I don't believe in end-time revival. I believe in end-time revival. I believe you can have revival up to the coming of the Lord. But wait a minute... Sir, listen to me when you begin to tell me of that great earth-shaking revival. And that's what these knotheads are leaving the truth for. Did you hear us call them knotheads? They say, we don't, I never believed it in the first place. I've never believed it. I never believed it back there. What are they? What are they? I'm going to tell you what they are. They're apostates. Show me revival in your book, except in the Acts 2.38 framework. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, there's a time, there's a pattern, there's a way, there's God's time, God's time clock. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one, with one mind and one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And cloven tongues like as a fire set up on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. (laughs) What did they say? They said, what meaneth this? 
Then Peter, standing up with the eleven. Have you ever heard of apostolic certification? You know what apostolic certification is? Look at me, folks. You ever heard of apostolic certification? We used to plant our potatoes up in Borgard Parish. We'd buy a hundred pound of seed potatoes and I'd always look on that sack. And look for that one statement certified by USDA. Now that meant that the government had stamped those potatoes free of black rot, free of disease, and exactly what they were. Let me give you something. Be sure that before you accept any doctrine, any manifestation, any gift, anything, that it's certified by the full complement of 12 apostles. And Peter standing up with the, the, the elevens. Why, Peter? He was the spokesman. This is that. And right on down the line, I think of Paul. The great, in my book, Paul, the probably the greatest apostle that ever lived. Preached 14 years. They spoke of Paul and said, this is the man that has turned the world upside down. He's come here. Established churches by the hundreds. I mean conquered continents. No doubt he had hundreds of preachers that he had, had been converted under his ministry. Now you follow me. And after 14 years, the Holy Ghost spoke to Paul. You see, Paul, when Paul was saved, immediately he went into Arabia and didn't go back to Jerusalem. He received it by revelation. He said, well, I got God gave it to me, revelation. Baptism in Jesus' name, the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues, revelation. And then he said, 14 years later, the Holy Ghost spoke to him. And that was why, when all 12 apostles were still living. And I'm going to paraphrase. God said in this, this was the tone, Paul, now all the 12 apostles are still living. Now you have never met that apostleship up there. But I want you to leave your, your work. I want you to go back to Jerusalem while all 12 apostles are there. And I want you to confer with them. And let them certify the message that you've been preaching. And Paul said, I went back lest I had been preaching in vain. Lest I had been walking in vain. In other words, let me phrase it like this. If when I go back and I find that my message is not identical to the message that Peter preached at Pentecost. Then all these hundreds of churches that I preached are in vain. The continents that I've turned upside down, I did it in vain. All everything that I've done is in vain. Unless my message, unless my message, in other words, it must coincide completely with Acts two thirty eight. Then Peter said unto them, Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. 
and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children. And to them that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call, and with many other words. Now listen to this. Then they that gladly received His word were baptized. I had a couple of high society ladies from Winnie, Texas. Big rice farmer ladies. Way back there when Brother Don got saved. They came to the house and they were debating over over the Trinity doctrine whether they'd be baptized in Jesus' name. Now I've always made it this practice. I'll get my Bible and I'll make them get their Bible. And I don't read it to them. I make them read it to me. And so they began to read it. And when we got down to that place where it said, Then they that gladly received his word. What word? Who was they talking about? They were talking about Peter in Acts 2.38. Then I said, repeat that. Then they said, they that gladly received his word. I said, repeat it. Then they that gladly received. I said, repeat it again. Then they that gladly. I said, repeat it again. And she was a little dark-eyed, black-headed French woman. And them eyes snapped at me. She looked up at me in tears. She said, I'm ready to be baptized. No other way. No other way. Then you tell me, then you tell me that it doesn't matter. Wait a minute, friend. If it doesn't matter, why even preach out of the book? What are we doing? Listen to me completely carefully. Anytime that you turn away from the new birth holiness message, you are automatically charismatic. If I do not believe that it takes the baptism of the Holy Ghost and baptism in Jesus' name to be saved, then why should I ever debate with Billy Graham? Why should I ever question Oral Roberts? Why didn't I go to San Antonio and boost and cheer for the Pope when he came? Why don't I tear down everything? But will you listen to me, folks? We are living in the age of the great falling away when the great end time ecumenical church is being formed. When doctrine will be done aside, everything, everything's fellowship. Everything is love. Do away with everything but love. That great big ecumenical end time church. And you know what that church is going to do? It's going to usher the Antichrist in. He's right out there. Brother Alexander, the spirit behind the charismatic movement is the spirit of the Antichrist. Let me give you this just... <laughs> what do you Frenchmen call it? Lanyap? All right, let me just give you this for Lanyap. Oh, Brother McDaniel's brother and a young man by the name of Cox. You may know him. Precious boys. And so they went to... this. Big old church is right down the street from us. Boys that I've known, well, I knew all that when that church exploded, went about six parts right nearby. This kid took that, and he's, I mean, he's got crowds. And so they went in there and sat down, and they passed the offering pan. They each gave a dollar. They paid their dues, you see. They paid the fare. So they had their service, charismatic service. Now, hold your seats. Now hold your seats. So they're trying to get rid of these two boys. So now look, said everybody don't stay for the after service. You're free to go right now. And they looked at them. 
Well, they, both of those characters are kind of honorary anyway, and so they said, no, sir, we give a dollar in the offering. We're not leaving. <laughs> well, they said, if you're going to stay, we're going to have the dance now. Now, Brother Alexander, I questioned that boy. I said, son, repeat that. And he said, on my couch. I said, now repeat it. He, I said, you saw it. He said, I saw it, Brother Word. Well, the first thing they did, they, they all came out and they lined up and caught arms, men and women. Now, they professed the Holy Ghost. All right. Come out of a Pentecostal church, raised in Pentecost. All, right. all they've ever known was Pentecost. And first of all, I've, you, you Frenchmen, I don't know whether you know about Paris, France or not, but the old can-can dance is one of the most vulgar dances in the world. In other words, scantily clad girls, they kick just as high with one leg and then they come back, kick just as high with the other. So they started off can-can, kicking. 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 Now listen to me, this came right down the street from me. And then, Brother Alexander, they, they disengage. And then the men began to hug up and dance together. Now, how can you keep the spirit of perversion out of a church like that? And then the men disengaged and the women and the men went together. The men hugged the women up and they began to dance close up. Very God strong. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of old Aaron. When Moses went up on the mount to get the Ten Commandments, left Aaron, a weakling ministry, a weakling ministry, and they compelled him to make those golden calves. Listen to me, they pulled their clothes off and began to dance around the golden calves. Don't you get angry with this old preacher when he looks at you and says, Ladies, bring that hymn line down. Men, go back to that barber shop and get your money back. Hmm? I don't know how long I've been preaching. I don't care. You sung me down. I'm going to preach you down. The land of promise. I went out full, but I come back empty. You leave this message that I'm talking about today. Go ahead and leave this message and see how you come back. I'm not ashamed of the name apostolic or the name Pentecostal. Oh, listen to me. We're not going to rename our church Great Revival Center. huh? I don't know whether I could honestly name my church that because we don't have that big outpouring. I mean, they come hard with us. It's like chiseling out rocks but I'll tell you this when we get one you like this like what I saw brother Alexander point out some of you listen to me folks when it happens revival can come revive now this end time revival is a humbug it's listen the greatest I'm going to say it frankly the greatest deception that's been perpetrated in the Pentecostal movement in the last 30 years is the doctrine of the end-time revival. It has made men leave the truth and go after something that's only a mirage. That's it. That's the truth. That's the truth. When it happens, Naomi, it's going to happen now. There's going to be bread back in Israel. 
There's going to be plenty back in Israel. There's going to be revival back in Israel. There's going to be corn back in Israel. The Messiah is going to be born. He's not going to be born down in Moab. When the Messiah is born, he will be born right here in Bethlehem, Judah. Right here. When revival comes, when true revival comes, when revival, real authentic revival comes, it's going to come right back in Acts 2.38. Nowhere else. You can't sing them in. You can't shout them in. You can't dance them in. You can't play ball and bring them in. You can't build gymnasiums. There's not going to be any gymnasium in Faith Tabernacle. We're in a $3 million building program, but not a gymnasium is going to be built. Oh, my God. Preacher, you better get out of town right now. I'm preaching an old-fashioned right. Your singing is great. It's wonderful. I've never heard any better. I like your testimonies. I like all of that. Oh, but wait a minute, friend. Wait a minute. Give place. Give place. Let the old man of God walk up here with that open Bible. When revival comes, when revival comes, when revival comes, it's going to come right here. That's it. I'm not discouraged with my message. I think about Abraham. Now this gets back to what I told you about famine in the land of promise. I don't know why it is with people when things get a little bit dry. And Brother Alexander, we well, had a bunch of churches in Port Arthur. And the funny thing about it back in the olden days, even when everybody was preaching truth in, it was always funny. At our driest time, it was the very time that Brother Pugh over at the first church would be having his greatest revival. Uh, you watch the very time that you're having your driest time, somebody said, oh man, over Generet, they are having a revival. And there'll always be some of these, I don't know what you're going to call them. They shrivel up and they come crying to the pastor, pastor, what's wrong with us? They're having revival over there. We're not having nothing but old dry light bread. It's funny if you've stayed in the ministry any length of time, you've had a lot of it. You know what I despise, Sue? I despise people that'll run off to somebody else's Sunday school and help swell their Sunday school. And then come back and brag how many of so-and-so had in Sunday school. How many did we have? Well, you were over there. Why didn't you stay over there? Where is your loyalty? Where is your loyalty? Where is your backbone? Where is your reasoning? This is Bethlehem, Judah. (laughs) This is Bethlehem, Judah. You leave, and then you'll come back empty. I feel sorry. I believe that men have actually, I believe, well, let me say it like this. When when you speak about apostasy, you're talking about the unpardonable sin. 
When you actually fall away from truth, there is no coming back. God will turn you over to a reprobate mind to believe the truth and be damned, Brother Burr. How could that young man that was raised under this old-fashioned uh, gospel message, how could he ever revert to the place? They call that interpretive dancing, and there's another. Is it aer aerobic dancing? What is it? Aerobic dancing. You know that we have dancing in our church? And you know the way I like to see dancing in my church? I like for the power of God to just bam, like lightning and somebody squeal. Hey! Take off down the aisle. Spontaneous. Spontaneous. We don't have to teach a dancing school. Listen, God does that. <laughs> but you see, I'm an old fogey. I'm an old killjoy. Poor old Burr, poor old Burr, poor old Alexander. Don't you feel sorry for me, him and me? You know why we're on the winning team, son? Let's look at Abraham just for a minute. I'm getting hungry. You all got some good stuff cooked, right? Well, there's two kinds of pie I like, brother. I like, there's two kinds of pie I like. I like hot and cold. I got you looking at me then, then. Can I, t can I pause just a minute? You know the way I judge a congregation. I judge a congregation's depth of spiritual maturity by the way they pay attention when I preach. When you preach and they look like you're preaching a tree full of owls and they're I'm mean, Brother Alexander. I think of Abraham. God gave called him out of the land of Ur to get into a land that you've never put your foot on. You ever sail under seal orders? I did one time. We sailed out of Boston Harbor, and I didn't know where we were going. Nobody knew. Seal orders. German subs lurking everywhere. Finally, way out at sea, they opened the message. We're going to... Rock of Iceland. But now God pushed Abraham out under seal orders. Said, you get up now, Abraham, and go into the land that I'm going to show you. Don't take nobody with you. If you'd listened to the old man, listened to God, he wouldn't have got in trouble. But he took his father along and he took Lot along to the show. He clung and they got him in trouble. But he moved into the land of promise. He, he waited a while until the old man, his father, died. Now, we're not speaking disrespectfully of Abraham's father. But he had to wait until the old man died before he could move in the promised land. The old man's got to die before you can move in the promised land. Well, he got into the promised land. Now, this is for, would be good for young converts. Because sometimes when just immediately after you moved into the land of promise, you move into an era of famine in your spiritual life. Brother Burr, I think I got it. I think they told me I talked in tongues, brother, but I haven't felt anything, Brother Burr. Sometime immediately after we move into the land of promise, 
Famine sets down. Abraham had hardly moved into the land until famine came. And he heard there was corn in Egypt. Wait a minute, Abraham. They called you the father of faith. And now already at the first little trouble, you're ready to run. You know, I'd rather duck hunt than to eat when I'm hungry. Get me out in one of those old marshes with a Model 11 Remington in a pocket full of shells on the nastiest, dirtiest day. I like it when it was raining, drizzle. Them old, I've been out there and them old mallards would come in and geese would come in and my thumb would be so cold I couldn't push the safety on the gun. That's when I loved it the best. And, oh, God, get some little old, I've got sissy, little old sissy preachers out there and they get a drop of cold water running down the back of their collar and their raincoats. Oh, I want to go home. What did you come out here for? Why, if you can't stand the heat, stay out of the kitchen. That's what I came for. One morning of slick, bright, white frost. One of those old canals down around the Anahuac, and I went and we had a little skinny-looking log. You had to hit that log with one boot and hit the ground with the other, and I missed it. And, oh, God, I went up to here. You think I complained. I crawled out of there and shook the water out of my mother. I think I had a browning then. Went on and killed a lot of ducks and enjoyed myself. You think I'm a boot full of water? They'll get warm after a while. But now, wait a minute. Famine set in right away, and Abraham fled. He fled the land of promise and went to Egypt because he heard there was corn down there. Are you going to run every time you hear of a revival? Are you a fire chaser? I don't know. There's something in us. You let a fire truck blow its whistle. And there's something in every one of us. You want to get in your car and chase it. He's in you. Well, he fled to the land. He fled to Egypt. And sure enough, there was corn down there. And it wasn't long until he had to tell a little white lie. And really, he lied on his wife to save her honor. And she almost got in trouble. Now, that's what he did when he fled the land of promise. The promised land. Now, you listen to this. I've got some, I've got a theory here that you may have never heard before. When Abraham came out of, out of Egypt, God said, Abraham, get up now and get out now. You pulled a boo-boo, now get out and go back to where I told you to go. But now, wait a minute. When he left the land of Egypt, he brought two things out with him. That God never intended for him to have. When he left the land of Egypt, Abraham seemingly had had goats and sheep and camels and donkeys, but he didn't have any cows. And when he came out of Egypt, he brought cattle and he brought a beautiful black-eyed Egyptian maiden. Are you listening? Brought the cattle back into the land of promise and they grew. Man, they grew in that lush valley of the lush Jordan plains. And pretty soon that nephew that should have never come with him. You see, we bring our baggage out of the world that later gives us trouble. If we would strip ourselves of everything and obey God and completely, completely break all ties. But we bring this stuff out of the world and it gets us in trouble. 
He brought Lot from the land of Ur, went down in Egypt and got the cattle. The two came together. And it wasn't very long until there was strife. What brought the strife? There would never have been strife in the land of promise if Abraham would have left Lot in his cattle. The things he borrowed from the world, things that we borrow out of the world, Brother Alexander, are the things that always get us in trouble. Get us in trouble. I spent 14 years in Bible college work. I wrote the Constitution for Texas Bible College. I served on this board of directors five years. I served nine years on the board of, of the Christian Board of Education in the United Pentecostal Church. I taught five years in Texas Bible College. I taught in every one of the Bible colleges. But let me tell you something, neighbor, listen to me. Bible colleges is not the answer. Who am I to say that I'm smarter than this old man over here? That I can take his young men out of his church and take them over here somewhere and train them better. Do you know what the Bible ordains? For the man of God, the pastor, to train his his preachers in his own church and ordain them there. I'm going to drop these. I'm going to drop these. I believe it's blasphemy. For a religious organization to say that they can ordain preachers. They have no authority. Who gave a religious organization the authority to ordain preachers? Well, Abraham brought this beautiful maiden and the cattle back. And pretty soon there was strife in the land of promise. Between Abram's herdman and Lot's herdsman. Caused by the things. Why didn't he trust God back here? Now, Brother Alexander, here is my purpose in saying this. We are borrowing all this paraphernalia out of the world. Thinking that we can have revival. When all the time, the very mechanism. What shall I say? Everything that is needed to bring revival, we've got it right here. Now let's go to the maiden. Let's go to the maiden. Sarah should have known better. God had promised Sarah, said Sarah, in due time an heir is going to be born of you and Abraham. Why can't we wait for revival? Why do we have to outguess and outrun God and bring stuff in that should never be brought in? Why should we get afraid and say, oh, he's never going to give it to me? He'll never bring, we'll never have revival here. And all that time, God says, when it comes, it's going to come right here. Now, Abraham and Sarah, you're going to have an heir. He's coming. He's going to be born. An heir from you. But here she was a hundred years old and Abraham was older than that. Impossible. And why the woman, why the woman would be the one to lead Abraham into trouble? Ladies, I'm sorry. We can't do without you. We must have you. But there's still the weaker vessel. 
Don't try to outguess this old man. Don't you try to pastor the church over his head. Don't you out try to outcoach him. He knows what he's doing. Abraham, you're going to have an heir. He's going to be born in you time. He's going to be born of you and Sarah. Just wait. But they got ahead of God. And Sarah said, Abraham, I don't believe it. Take Hagar, take Hagar. Concubines were in order in those days. A man could have more than one wife. Raise you up in air. Old weak Abraham, that weak flesh. He listened to him. Ishmael was born. Did that alter God's promises? Not one speck. Did that keep God from fulfilling His promises? Not one speck. Ishmael was walking around there, a beautiful child, no doubt. But in due time, in due time, one day, Sarah said, what do you think? We're going to have a child, and in due time, Isaac came. God fulfilled His promise to the letter, even though men doubt Him, the Lord still was faithful. And then the trouble came. They looked one day, and there was Ishmael mocking Isaac. The son of the bondwoman persecuting the child of the free. You listen to me, apostolics. You listen to me, apostolics. Your greatest persecution will come from those that profess to believe the same thing you believe. He's mocking her. And old Sarah couldn't take it. She said, Abraham... You've got to get rid of that woman. And he went went against the grain when he put that little package on the back of her on her back. And she took that little boy by the hand and walked off into that desert. Everything in Abraham cried out. But you know, brother Abra, brother Alexandria, duty sometimes is hard. I've never in my life had to disfellowship people but one time. I had to disfellowship 17 people at one time. It hurt. But to save the church, I had to use the surgical knife. Walter Washington. Let me close with this. Every bit of the trouble today, go back to Lebanon. Go back to Israel today. Go back to the Arabic countries. Go back to the Middle East. Every bit of the trouble that you're seeing over there today had Abraham believed God and waited for God to send it his way. Every bit of that trouble would have been avoided. The war that you're witnessing in the Middle East today, our oil supply. Well, let me say it further than this. I noticed in Texas, oh, you're taking life yet. You had a, you had a bonanza there. All at once, bang. You know what happened? Arabs just closed the faucet. Oil, it, oil has to bring about $25 a barrel to be profitable, to be drilled for in, in America, in Louisiana and Texas. You've got to get about $25 a barrel before oil is profitable. 
And those Arabs keep the price of oil about 18 and $19 and lower. Trace your trouble back. Where does the trouble come from? That very day that Sarah said, Abraham, it's not going to happen. But if they would have listened to God, if they would have listened to God, God says, now I'm going to give you a son. He's going to be born in due time, in my time. He's going to be born right here. And Sarah's going to be his mother. And Abraham, you're going to be his father. Brother, Brother Alexander, revival can come in Jennings. You can have revival in Jennings. But don't import all this paraphernalia, this humbug, this charismatic paraphernalia. Remember when revival comes, when real revival comes... When true revival comes, it'll come through that old Acts 2.38 book. Same old message, same old message that all these squirts have tossed aside and said I never believed in the first place. Wait a minute. Give it to me. I still want it. Revival's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming right here. I could preach six hours on this, but I got to quit. I got to preach in Faith Tabernacle tonight. I've been deer hunting all the week. Why, this time, three days ago, I had two big old pretty deer laying on the ground. I just shot. 2506. Oh, that's a rifle. Let me get back to preaching. I think about one little last story of old Jacob. Jacob was a schemer in every way, and he got himself in trouble, stole his brother's birthright, fled. Brother was after him to kill him. He came to a place by the name of Bethel. You ever heard of Bethel? means house of God. And the Bible said he found a little plot there, and he alighted for the night, and he got a big old rock, and he put it under his head. Went to sleep. And there he dreamed a dream, and he saw a ladder reaching up to heaven, and the angels ascending and descending. Next morning, Jacob woke up. He's scared. He said, this is a terrible place. This is an awesome place. This is none other but the house of God. And listen to me. He got up, and he took all and anointed that pillar that he had laid on that rock. And he made a vow to God. He said, now, God, if you will go with me and give me food to eat and bring me back to this place, to my father's house, I will serve you all the days of my life, Lord, and a tenth of everything that I make. You pay your tithes? You pay your tithes? How can you afford not to pay your tithes? And listen, your ties don't belong in a treasure. Oh, God, I may be getting out of Come up here, man. Hand your ties to your pastor. This is the ox. This is the ox. And I guarantee you, if he gets more than he needs, he'll be generous with you. I promised my church when they turned it over to me, I said, look, the welfare of this church will always come before any personal need. All right. That's right. Man of God. We started building our new building. You know what I did? Brother Don, Brother Don, forgive me. Don't go back and tell I boasted now. I was going to retire. 
65 years old. I had me a little ranch out in West Texas, deer and turkey and cows. I said, no. I thought I did. But it's like my wife spoke the other night. We just killed some deer and having a big time. I said, honey, we laying on sleeping. I said, honey, I said, this is enjoyable and great, isn't it? She said, yes. But she said, it's just not fulfilling. I take it strictly as a recreation and no more. Let me show you the man of God. Now, this is a man. I had $60,000 in a fund I was going to use for retirement. I said, church, I'm going to give you that. And we started. I'm in the biggest program of my life now. Building a $3 million plant, paying 40 as we go. But now, what about tithes? Well, they give it to me. Every penny of it. I give it back. I give it back. When I don't have, I get all I want. <laughs> what am I going to do with it? Huh? What will an honest man do? What will a sincere man do? His church, his people mean more to him than any personal welfare. Don't be afraid to trust the man. You trust him with your soul. Why can't you trust him with your money? And besides, it's not your money. Don't you come out and brag and say, oh, my ties. You ain't got no ties, honey. They don't belong to you. They're God's ties. And God says, look, I'll give you nine, uh, 90 extensive, but you got to give my man the other 10 because it belongs to me. That's it right here. Right here. Right in the book. Well, that's what Jacob vowed. Let me show you how he forsook everything. He ran, got down to, down to his uh, father-in-law, his future father-in-law. First off, he couldn't cheat that old boy at first. He cheated his brother. But friend old Laban was another. <laughs> Laban knew it. Laban, well, he just, he just robbed him blind and poor old Jacob just sat there. But he learned Laban's ways. And after trouble, 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 and nothing but trouble, he takes off again. And about the time he thinks he's away from Laban, he gets word and says, somebody says, here comes Esau with 400 men. That avenging blood brother. Now that's what Jesus Christ is, is the avenging blood brother until you make peace with him. Well, he met Esau and God worked it around. You remember at the book of Jabbok where he wrestled all night? Give me time, I'm leading up to it. And finally, when he got loose and breathed a deep sigh of relief, he wasn't going back where he promised to go. God says, Jacob, now let me paraphrase what I feel like God told him. He said, Jacob, I told you to go back to Bethel. And you went everywhere else and you got yourself in trouble. Now you get up, Jacob, and go back to Bethel. He got up and went as straight as an arrow to Bethel. He first, you know what he did first? He said, strip all your earrings off and all your bracelets. Does that mean anything? Bury them under a tree. Bring all your idol gods here. Every idol god you bring them, let me bury them here. That day. And when he was fully stripped and cleansed, 
purged. Then he got up and went back to Bethel and listened to me. This is what I say that Pentecost needs to do today. They need to strip themselves of everything that's holding them back. They've been wandering around too long. We need to go back to Bethel. Back to Bethel. Back to Acts 2.38. Back to the Bible. Revival can come, but it'll come right here. But will we go out full and come back empty? And when he got back, I like this. He built an altar. Got back to the place of his vows. Got back to the place of his initial meeting with God. Got back to the place where God spoke to him. Got back there to the old place. Stripped and purged and repented. And now he renews or builds a new altar. Folks, listen to me. It can happen, but it's going to happen right here. Naomi, Naomi, the Messiah is going to be born. God's going to give corn back in Israel. There's going to be an abundance back in the promised land. It's coming, but it's not coming down in Moab. It's not going to come down to the Charismatics and over the Baptists and up in Oral Roberts or are you. Billy Graham's not going to bring it. Oh, listen to me. When it comes, when it comes, how will it come? It'll come just the way that God promised it. A faithful man of God in a, the house of God that stayed here and labored and worked. You mean to tell me that God will bypass that man and give some playboy? I don't believe. Let me appeal to Jennings Church today on this last statement. Let's rise up. Go ahead and stand. I'm going to preach you just a little bit more. And let's go back to Bethel. And let's get all those old stones together. Repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, the infilling of the Holy Ghost, holiness, decent, godly dressing, long hair, Rebuild our altars. It's coming. It can come. When it comes, it'll come through His Word.